Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Spech. Hey, hello. How's it going, Derek? Fantastic. Well, uh, we had our really, 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 really cold weather. It went yeah, down to minus yeah. 30. Yeah, like a day and a half of that. Yeah, and then... It didn't go minus 30, did it? Yeah. Not down southern Ontario. Yeah, minus 26, I guess. Yeah, maybe. Close. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, well, with wind chill, minus... With wind chill, yeah. yes, it was definitely a lot colder. And like, then the next day was like plus four. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <sighs> I've heard of people, who heard, uh, or I saw some posts from people up in Ogongon Park that it was in the minus 30s, there was like a minus 43 wind chill camping. This is Fahrenheit, or uh, Celsius. I Celsius, yes, yeah. Celsius. Yeah. I don't know how to convert that off the top of my head. I use a calculator. Darn cold. <laughs> it was cold. It was cold. <laughs> oh, um, speaking of cold, uh, Mount Washington, down in the States, mm-hmm. uh, it has experienced its coldest on record temperatures. They act, They feel that the, uh, what is it, stratosphere, troposphere, whatever. Anyways, they were in another sphere. It had the cold, that cold front came down from the north right. and dipped below the peak of the mountain. And so they were at like minus 120 or something. Is that like a polar vortex or something? Windshield minus 120. Minus 120? Yeah, something like that. Minus 123? You're looking at me like I should know. No, I'm just, I'm looking at you trying to remember. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to talk well, about hey, this until we talked hey, about it. In Antarctica or what? Do but I yeah, look like a Coldest man? on record. Wow. That's cold. Mm-hmm. That's what do you do cold. when it's like, it, there gets a point where it's just too well, cold to well, do anything. Well, no, they they did. So there's uh, there's people who study the weather who are on Mount Washington. Like they, they, they're, they, they, when they change out crews, it's like Snowcat goes up there and rolls up, grabs some people, drops people off and whatever. And it was, they're saying that, uh, to do their weather readings because of the blowing snow cakes everything up. So they mm-hmm. go out with manual instruments. And so at the coldest, they wanted accurate reading. Normally they just, they zip out once an hour, but they were doing it every 15 minutes. And they said, if you didn't bundle up correctly at those temperatures, you could get frostbite in less than a minute. When we lived out in Yorkton, Saskatchewan, some of the winters got like really, really cold and they'd do wind chills yeah. of like 50 below mm-hmm. and, and stuff. And they would give skin freezing warnings on the radio <laughs> Yeah, and they would tell you, uh, if you have a dog, oh. make sure that you have yeah. the leash on your dog because that way, if the dog's just goofing around outside, you can pull them back in. <laughs> Before it Because, uh, yeah, they're like, oh, you know what? Oh, yeah, it is cool. Oh, look, there's Froofy out in the lawn. He's a kind statue. Of, kind of statuesque like. <laughs> uh, yeah, they would, they would tell you, make sure, yeah. if, don't just let your dog out. Make sure you put a leash on them because mm-hmm. that way you can. Drag you know him in. in yeah, emergency. it's getting cold. You've been in, you can't stay out there for more than, you know, 10 minutes. Yeah. Chihuahua. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Not much meat on that dog. No. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's, that's cold, man. Yeah. Terribly cold. Like I say, what do you do with temperatures like that? Like there's. Yeah, uh, I know, right? Like, what do you do? Like, you're not doing much of anything. An awful like, lot of hot chocolate and coffee. <laughs> <laughs> when we did, uh, when I went with the boys and we uh, hiked up into the mountains there a couple years back, 2019, um, we our trip got delayed by two days because there was like 240-some kilometer hour winds. So it's like, oh, we can't hike in that. Oh, is that the one that I said you guys should have jumped up? And see how far it blew you back down. Yeah, yeah. I still can't believe you guys didn't do that. Whoops. He just went off the side of the mountain. Cowards. It was super windy. But, and so we went up after the high winds died down. It was still super windy. And like windshield was crazy. Like we were looking at, I can't even remember the numbers. See, that's what gets you. It's not so much the cold, but it's the wind Wind chill. chill. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And that just starts beating you like right in the face and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. It strips away your heat. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it gets through every little crack around. Yeah. You, know, you, you think you got the the hood up tight around yeah. your face and all that, and yeah, yeah no, <laughs> you you find out really fast where all the little leaks are. Yeah. Goes right down your back, and and it's hilarious. Like when you're climbing up those hills, those mountains, it, it's so much work to do the climb that like you have to be careful not to break a sweat. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I'm a hydrophobic or so. I, I sweat a lot. I, I perspire a lot, so I had to go careful and slow because I didn't want to perspire because that can kill you, right? 
That was your excuse. You out of that shape. That was no my good, excuse. Lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hydromophobic. <laughs> I gotta walk slow. <laughs> yes, and panting like I'm about to die <laughs> helps. <laughs> oh, I was panting a lot, and uh, I had trouble breathing at night for like two and a half years afterwards. Just in the last year that uh, my lungs sort of cleared up. Really? I would wheeze at night because my lungs always had water and liquids in them. I damaged my, the lining of my lungs. You got to learn how to drink proper. <laughs> you don't drink with your lungs. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways. Speaking of trips. Yes. Winter trips, trips and your mountain So that, mountain was, that, was, that was I was with David Lee on that one. And uh, so I just saw that, uh, that David Lee and a group of guys there are up in mm, near north. Ontario, so Biscotazing area. Mm-hmm. So they took the uh, took a train up, dropped off on uh, Joffrey Lake. No, Ramsey Lake. Then they're gonna hike by as the crow flies is about I don't know ten twelve kilometers. But you follow the water route, and I mapped it out. It's about twenty clicks, and so they're gonna do that in about five days. So about seven kilometers a day or eight kilometers. Is that the a day. Bud Car? Well, I don't know. The Bud Car? Yeah, there's one called the Bud Car up by Sudbury. I it's, think it's up by Sudbury Way. Is it the Polar Bear Express? No. No. That's Northern. Probably. It's Northern. Northern. The name of the company is, or the business is Northern something. Hmm. I've been on that train before okay. because we did, when I did the Spanish River, we dropped in at Biscotazing and looped up through the lake and then down the Spanish River. Now you're going to make me Google stuff. <laughs> so how long has he gone for? Uh, they, so they about halfway through when people are listening to this. And so they drove up by car to Sudbury, what, on Monday, Tuesday, train early morning. And then they're probably, you know, four or five hours the first day. And so that's Tuesday. And so they should be a portion about halfway through, a third of the way through now. So it's back Sunday on the train. Okay. Uh, the Bisco Bud Car. The Bisco Bud Car. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. <laughs> See things retain. <laughs> <laughs> what is Bisco tasing? The road up there is Bisco Road. So I don't know what the the etymology of uh, ooh, big word. The I don't want the etymol. I don't know what the etymology of uh, Bisco tasing is. Like where it came from. If it's named after some place in Europe or United States or whatever. But uh, it's a big name. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe Google that for next week. Yes. That's your homework for this week. <laughs> well, nice to see David out and uh, about again. And, yeah. And uh, he's been going through a, a few things over the last while. I know they were doing a lot of family stuff this year. Yes, he is. Doing well, a cottage or something? Yes, his his mother's cottage. Right. So they're, they're cleaning up and fixing it up. And yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, it's, they're, they're just trying to fix it up. Yeah. You know what? It's sometimes it's good just to step back from everything and. Yeah. And do something like mm-hmm. that. So, good. Hopefully, he has a great time. Well, hopefully, they all do. And uh, we'll hear from him again soon. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else is going on? Uh, nothing much. Really? Just working? Yeah, just working. Excellent. I am thinking trips. I am thinking pondering, you know, life's mysteries. But uh, I gave that up for Lent. <laughs> But When's Lent, by the way? It's coming up around <laughs> Easter. <laughs> I have 12 Lents a year for all I know. <laughs> Where are you looking at trumping? Well, there's, there's, there's lots of ideas. Like uh, we have had gone into the habit of doing uh, a sandbanks at, for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year, normally we go up for the long weekend. And this year or last fall, we did uh, sandbanks for a whole week. At that time, it was fantastic, really good. Get up a couple early mornings to, to before dawn and get out onto the sand dunes at sunrise to watch the sunrise, and so it was pretty cool. And uh, and the kids were quite agreeable to it. Getting up in the in the dark and getting in the car and driving off and <laughs> driving off into the sunset, <laughs> into the sunrise. sunrise but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but uh, this year we're planning on going to McGregor. So that's a plan. Thanksgiving at McGregor. I'm not sure. I got a trip I'm planning to do. And I don't know if I'll, I guess I'll be doing it in the spring. Is there, there a, is there a holiday day you, in June? June does not have a holiday. Because I think there's only like one or two of the months that don't have a, a long weekend. There should be a holiday in June. 
It should be around the 29th of June. No, that would be July 1st. No, 29th. If June has a holiday, it should be on the 29th. Just to make it a four-day weekend? <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> the 29th of June is my birthday. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Thanksgiving's my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You ruin your holiday. <laughs> it's either Thanksgiving or your birthday. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, because I, like I say, I always try to throw in a trip using the holiday Monday. Mm-hmm. Yes. A, yeah. So I, you know, I'm, I'm saving one of my vacation days sort yeah. of thing. But it's going to involve a, a big trip through Algonquin this year. I haven't been big trip through Algonquin in mm-hmm. a while. But I don't know if I'm going to do it in the spring or in the fall. But it's going to be, it's going to involve shuttles and mm-hmm. fast moving bits and <laughs> uh, sections of it. You got to paddle fast to, oh. to make sure you get where you need to go to yeah, yeah, have yeah. time to do the entire trip. Got it. Right. Yeah, fast-moving bits. Come so, on. So, yeah, do it at the time, maybe during bug season or yeah, or otherwise it could be at the nice time of year. The very, 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 <laughs> very, 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 very crowded time of the year. There is that. Yeah. The bugs do keep the crowds down. See? Yeah. There is that. And there's, there's higher water. You have bug crowds, but not people crowds. Right. Yes, right. higher water is good. High water is good. So I you agree got the higher water, yeah. no crowds. So cooler, if you go so super early, like now, late April, early May, like no, super early it's May. too early. But there's no bugs. I'm trying to arrange the date so maybe I could go too. I know, June. <laughs> You're coming in June. Bring a bug jacket and <laughs> yeah. deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah. So I got that trip going. I think I may have lost on the Tomogamy in September. I think we're going to a wedding. Oh yes, yeah. I think I may have didn't win that battle. I don't think I won that battle. <laughs> but we have not given up yet. <laughs> I may have lost the battle, but the war still rages. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, I think we're. I think we're wedding bound. Yeah. Which means maybe I'll do a trip in October as well. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'll do the do the the one in June that I want to do. Yeah. And then maybe do a solo one in October. Yeah. Right on. Solo to Moosonee. <laughs> that would just tick you right off, wouldn't it? <laughs> yes. It would. Yes, it would. Yes, it would. <laughs> uh yeah, so yeah. Trips are what canoe trips are you doing? Are you guys aren't doing Burt Reynolds this year, or is it still up in the air? Uh, I haven't heard from the boys yet. It's still early in the year. We don't usually start planning until spring, because it's in the fall. Pitter it's, patter. It's usually September. Pitter patter. Yeah. Oh, no, no, there's no rush. Yes, there is. There's always a rush. The plans come together pretty quick. Pitter patter, baby. Pitter patter. <laughs> I haven't heard anything. We uh, our Moosney trip did uh, get uh, canceled because of super low water that year. That would have been twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Plus, there was a lot of concerns about if we were going to be allowed into the community because of COVID. Yeah, and uh, so then it's just like, oh, I guess it's not going this year. And uh, so that's when what Martin and Scott went through Algonquin Park instead. Yeah, and I just didn't do a trip with the boys that year. Were you guys going to start at Matisse? And work your way for Moosney? Uh, was it Matisse? Yes, Matisse. Uh, do the uh, Missinabi River all the way up. And then catch the train back to Cochrane. Yep. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So we had a we had a shuttle semi-arranged up to from Cochrane to Matisse. And so first night was going to be in that train. No, the last night was going to be the train station hotel. First night was going to be like sleeping under the bridge at Matisse type thing. Hotel. Yeah, there's a hotel above the train station. Why would you do that? Why not just travel at night, get there first thing in the morning, and start your trip? For what? Because that's what we did. Well, no, we're going to start under the bridge at Matisse in the morning. We're going to sleep in a tent. <sighs> so get there, oh. sit around and watch the water flow, and then first thing in the morning hit the water. But on the way back, the train gets in at like 11 at night. And that's when you drive home. <laughs> yeah. After a long trip like that? Yep. That's what we did. <laughs> Dodging trees on the way home. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? It's a fun. Yeah. Come on. Learn near, to drive. Near Live dangerous. Experience. Yeah. Oh, what do we got this week here? What do we have? 
Uh, we have some protecting the environment stuff. Keeping bikes Invasive clean. species. Yeah, let's talk about bikes. We're a paddling show, so we'll talk about bikes. Well, we could do pack rafting from that perspective keeping bikes clean and evasive species away from south canoe trails are goals of a project proposed by the shishwap um trail alliance in salmon arm british columbia at its january 23rd meeting the city council agreed to support an application uh to the by the shishwap Trail Alliance to the Shishwap Community Foundation for 9100 bucks. A uh, grant will go towards the installation of a bike wash station at the South Canoe Trailhead. And they explain that the bike wash station would be would would aid in the reduction and spread of invasive species as well as provide an amenity to visitors in the region and residents that may not have access to the necessary water equipment to wash their bikes. Mm-hmm. This is a pretty common theme in previous episodes where we talk about invasive species mm-hmm. and the collection and eradication of invasive species. So this does fit in our wheelhouse. It may not be paddling related, but... But it is, though. It is, though. It, it, it has to... And what it does is it relates back to, uh, you know, responsibilities of helping protect the environment from the spread of invasive species, whether it be, you know what, don't, don't be paddling your canoe in Lake Ontario and, and heading straight up to Algonquin Park because you're going to carry some zebra mussels. Next thing you know, 10 years from now... You know, like Caroline Lake or or whatever Burnt Island Lake is like stripped clean of whatever mm-hmm. because suddenly have zebra mussels everywhere. Yeah, invasive species can be spread through the movement of seeds, insects, and diseases on equipment or clothing. To help control the spread of invasive species, it is important to inspect and clean gear, clothing, and equipment before and after use. Providing a bike wash station at South Canoe Trailhead will help reduce the spread of invasive plant species said there is 11,600 is required for the project including 6,000 to bring city water source to the parking lot and they've confirmed it's received 2,500 for the project for the municipal and regional district tax it is looking to the community foundation for the remainder uh, asked if the city could provide a letter of support to the project which the council voted unanimously in favor addition to cleaning bikes Councillor Sylvia Lindgren says the bike wash station might also get used as a dog wash station. There you go. Because you got to think, the dog's in there. Yeah, dog's got all kinds of stuff on them, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, there are a number of places where I walk my dog and have a bike wash station to rinse off his legs and underbelly before he gets in my car would be very exciting. I'd love to see one up at Little Mountain Field House where there's a big sloth. Sloth? Sloth? Slow. Slow? Is that Slow. slow? S L O U G H. We don't know what that word is. Uh, in the middle of our, where my golden. It's one of those words that you probably say fifty times but never seen spell. Uh, in the middle of the park where my golden retrievers love to swim, it would be really nice to have these in more than one place. So bike wash stations have been talked about sometime. The Greenways Committee is for a good start. And it's probably the best spot to have one and see how it goes. But yeah, you know, I mean, if it's right there. Mm-hmm. Easy peasy, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think it's smart. Yeah, it really is. They should be putting those up. It, it, like, even here down in Rotary Park where we go, the number of people in their canoes and kayaks, mm-hmm. I don't know why we don't have one. Yeah, exactly. There's people in and out of that water. And be handy to keep your gear clean and mm-hmm. stop, you know, you don't want to track stuff around. And there's, like, I, I, I don't know what all the invasive species are, what we're dealing with in Lake Ontario, but I know zebra mussels is a, it, it costs billions of dollars a year in, in mitigating effects of, of trying to clear it out of, you know, generation stations and, yeah. and water treatment plants and, and whatever, right? It's a problem. It's a serious problem. It is. We got to keep uh, ever vigilant, mm-hmm. as they say. Uh, Fonzie Mealy Auctioneers over in Castle Comer, north of Kilkenny in Ireland. Ireland. They're having their Making Room Spring Sale, which will take place at the Avalon House Hotel, Wednesday, February 15th. Items include a 19th century North American double-ended peapod canoe, appropriately painted green, Lot 306, estimated 300 or 400 pounds, which or euros, 
which is $435 to $580 Canadian. It once belonged to Lady Eleanor Yarrow, famous for her canoeing adventures. Have you heard of her before? Never. <laughs> Never. She she's famous. Late 19th century American double-end Peapod canoeer skiff with lated interior and cross uh, center crossbar painted green approximately 12 feet 10 inches uh, in length and 35 inches wide uh, with points, pointed ends. Uh, so it's this, just this canoe is described by a person who doesn't know what a canoe is. Yeah, that's what, <laughs> that's what I'm thinking, right? Uh, so Lady Eleanor Yarrow here. Uh, Alfred Yarrow, his life and work, she published that. That was a biography of her husband, her late okay, husband. Yeah. So she published that in 1924. Then she published As the Water Flows in 1927, a record of adventures in a canoe on the rivers and trout streams of southern England. She was also, they say, a he- heroic figure in the women's suffrage, which apparently caused her a lot of problems. Um, because she was a big member of it. And canoeing was one of her main hobbies. She passed away in Dublin in 1953. So they show this picture, as you can see the picture there. Mm-hmm. It looks like a cedar strip canoe. Yeah, it's a right? canvas over cedar. Uh, it definitely needs re-canvassing. The inside, when you, if, if, if you look online, you see the picture and you blow it up. The inside looks pretty, pretty decent shape. Mm-hmm. It does. Right? Yeah, it looks fantastic shape. Uh, the majority of boats doing some research on it, the majority of boats that are called Peapods are rowboat-style boats. Because I've never heard of a Peapod, right? So did they get the picture wrong? Well, that's what I was wondering. But no, they're, they're saying it's, it's... It's a double-ended Peapod. Mm-hmm. 12 feet wide, 35 inches wide. Twelve. That's sorry, 12, normal. Yeah, that's right? a that's typical... A, yeah. So when you look at a... So they're typically the, the on a Peapod boat, which are rowboat-style... The same front and back, so it doesn't matter which way you row it, and it's rowed, not paddled. Mm-hmm. It is stable enough to stand in. These boats were developed in Maine for lobstering. They were originally known as double enders. Yeah, yes. Please, which, yeah. So that's the right there. That's why I'm like, well, wait a minute. That's not this. Uh, so when I did some research on it, trying to find, you know, double-ended Peapod canoe, I came up with Old Town Canoes okay. and E.H. Garish Canoes. Out of Bangor, Maine. Uh, trying to find a canoe from either company that resembles the photo was a bit hit or miss on those because some of them look like it. Yeah, but they were wider yeah. and had different like flat seats, and you could row. Some called it a rowing canoe, not a paddle canoe, but it does not resemble what they did. But there were some photos that showed similar canoes. Um, and then the next 10 photos look completely different. <laughs> Go, oh, that's it. No, no, okay. And then the boats are wider, the regular canoe, and like I say, road instead of paddle. End of the day, after all the photos I saw, I I have to think the canoe up for auction is an old town or a garish. Yeah. Um, with, with the, and I'm leaning towards old town. I'd be really interested to find out the actual make and model. But yeah, it looks like a an early 1900s. Old Town Cedars Canvas Canoe. So back in... This is canoes potentially 100 years old. Well, they said, late, what, late 19th century, right? Yeah. Do you so think that would be the end in, of the 1800s. Do you think that's when she got it? I, well, that's what they're saying. Because her books were published in 24 and 27. Yeah. Her husband was 90 at that point when he passed away. In, she, so, pa- she passed away in 1953. Yeah. Huh. So, 53. You'd think they have a bit 90. more information on this canoe. You would think. And I, and I began to think, is Peapod just a word they toss around? Yeah, I don't know. For East Coast boat. You're you looking know? at it, it kind of looks like half of a Peapod. Well, and that's what they say. It looks like a Peapod. That's why they call them Peapods. Hmm. But, yeah, it, it gets really confused. I've never actually heard of a Peapod double-ended canoe. <laughs> So if anybody can uh, shed some light on that for us, uh, send us a message, uh, either email or on our uh, Facebook social media. Sooner than later. Yeah, we want to find out because now 
Derek's heading to Ireland. Paddling Adventures Radio might be bidding on this connection. And and if there's anybody over in Ireland, you can kill Kenny that wants to head up. It's got nothing to do this Wednesday. <laughs> or I guess it's this Wednesday or next Wednesday, next I guess. Wednesday. Uh, has nothing to do on the 15th of February. <laughs> yeah. And wants to go check it out. Yeah. That'd send be us, awesome. Send us some pictures. Yeah. You know, that'd be cool to see that. I, I, yeah, I just did figure, oh, I'll just pop that into Google and mm-hmm. yeah, no, no, that was, wasn't as straightforward as I thought it would be. <laughs> so another cool thing happening, uh, at the Museum of Southeast American Indian, housed in Old Maine at the University of North Carolina at Pembroke, is a thousand-year-old yellow pine dugout canoe found beneath the McNeil Bridge in Lumberton in the 80s, 1980s. Well, Nancy Strickland Fields, museum director and curator, says, I look at that canoe every day. I'm thinking, what stories do you have to tell? What experience have you gone through? What have you seen? And it sits there in silence. When we started to engage in the project, I feel like that canoe has come to life even more. I so how, how is it, it must be the one fresh water, two buried in mud. I'm just wondering how is it possible that the wood will last that long? I don't know the science behind it, but apparently it works. So I suppose it helps that there's no well, you're not getting the, no worms, the wind, and the snow, yeah, the, the bugs. changing of drying out and rotting, yeah. and yeah, I find it incredible when they find these old dugouts that are like a thousand, two thousand, three thousand well, years old. Well, this past couple of years, did a couple of them in Wisconsin? They're there, discovering right? them left, right, and center. Yeah. So a new dugout canoe named Wisdom will soon join the piece of history and tell its own story of North Carolina's eight state recognized tribes. Led by Lumbee Tribal Historic Preservation Officer Kevin Melvin, people representing communities throughout the state converged at the Lumbee Tribe Cultural Center each Saturday for eight months to help construct a dugout canoe by applying tools and methods used by Native American ancestors. So exactly like they would have done a thousand years ago. Hmm. That's amazing. That's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Wisdom was the result of their efforts and is just one component of the Life by the River project, uh, which is was launched by the Museum of the Southeast American Indian with the goal of exploring North Carolina's Native people's connection with their ancestral waters, according to uh, Nancy Strickland Fields. When I say that I mean rivers, shorelines, Carolina bays, lakes, streams of all of the above, and looking at what are our connections, how do rivers especially network us together and link us together, and what role does water play in our lives as Native people culturally, spiritually, historically, and in a contemporary context. One of the most deciding features of Native people in the Southeast is that each tribe is situated along rivers. And even still, like up here, when you go to the museums and stuff like that, Half of them, you know, you see the, the, the camps and stuff. Yes. And the villages. And it's always on the side of a lake, on the side of a river, because mm-hmm. water is the thing, right? It's a source of water. It's a source of cleaning, a source of food for fish and yep. stuff like that. They have a connection to the river. In fact, a lot of these rivers' names come from Native people. The tribes and the rivers are still here. So when we think about issues like identity, culture, and history, and even really hard contemporary topics like federal recognition... A lot of these conversations are fixed on landscapes and environments. With the Life of the River program, the museum seeks to look back at the connection and dive into what has changed today. And this is something that, I mean, we've, we've heard this before. My great-great-grandmother and my great-grandmother, my grandparents, my mom used to fish the river. Um, and that was, you know, daily for food. That was just food source for them. That was just everyday stuff. Yeah. Like, that's what you hear. You, you, you know, the, oh, yeah, um, I fished it. My parents the fished it. The river provides. Like, yeah. it's all been going way, way, way back, right? Nothing's changed. These days, fishing is not as essential and access has been limited. So all that long line of they did it, they did it, they did it, they did it, mm-hmm. and then boom. Yeah. Right? And here we are. Program goal is to also revive the canoe tradition with songs and ceremonies and the different things that go along with the traditional riparian way of life. There's that word. 
There's that word, your favorite word, dude. <laughs> uh, which is a system in which water belongs to those who own land along its path. <laughs> yeah, one of your favorite words. <laughs> so constructing wisdom was the first component of the program to be completed. Dugout Canoe Project began as part of an internship for Kevin Melvin's graduate school uh, program at UNC uh, Wilmington, where he is studying public history. I didn't realize that was a thing. With assistance from the North Carolina Nature Conservancy, a large pine tree was found, cut, and moved to the Lumbee Tribe Cultural Center, where it was burned and dug out by teams of volunteers each week since May. So it's like eight months they did this, yeah. right? That's commitment. At first, I thought it would be kind of uh, something small, but it ballooned and turned into something larger than life, Melvin said. He said that he had had the idea to make the canoe as a traditional as possible using the fire burn and scrape method his ancestors would have used. To my knowledge, this is the first time something like this has been done in the traditional way, probably in a couple hundred years. We got into it, and it was taking a whole lot longer than we thought it was going to take. We ended up having to use a few modern tools, but nothing major. But, you know, good on them for... Oh, yes, yeah. You know. yeah. Melvin does not boast himself as an expert craftsman. In fact, he admits that he relied on knowledge of other craftsmen for assistance. I was completely new. Most of the people who had their hand in this were completely new. Not only in making canoes, but in general. I talked with folks down in Florida, a couple of the Seminole guys... Uh, about how they did theirs, read books, watched about every YouTube video <laughs> there is about making canoes, which is what we all do yeah, now. we all right? learn from YouTube. Uh, Melvin crafted some of the tools that would have been used by ancestors to construct canoes, like stone axes to demonstrate the level of difficulty and hard work that went into them. Could you imagine doing a, bug, uh, a dugout canoe with a stone axe, but oh, having to yeah. make the stone axe yeah. first? <laughs> No thanks. It would never happen. <laughs> uh, that's that's the level of commitment that he put into this. Mm -hmm. uh, imagine having to do all this work with these kinds of tools, Melvin says. To think the canoe the size that we made took us about eight months. Traditionally, our ancestors would have been able to make this one, uh, one that size in probably about two or three weeks. They were working around the clock. They were working in shifts. It was a communal thing because they were using these for fishing, for hunting, for traveling, for trade. Which is, you got the whole community component going there, right? Uh, we got to experience some of those communal ties that's really bigger than the actual canoe itself. It just brings back these those communal ties. Wisdom suffered some damage caused by sitting in the elements for months, which you would figure, right? That goes yep. back to what you're saying. You know, that they must put it under there to stop yeah. damage from, from the elements. The team of volunteers moved the canoe to the edge of Lumbee Tribal Cultural Center Lake. After some final sandings, they set it on fire one more time. The fire helps with the sanding and seals up the inside of the canoe. It was then sunk into the lake where it will remain until May. Gonna store it under the lake. The water submersion will help preserve it. Mm -hmm. So this is exactly what, like, this is the part I like about this. Well, and this is, is they've, they've taken it that extra, yeah, yeah. extra step, right? Because this is what they used to do back in the day. Because to, before, when you have the community come together and put all that effort into a canoe, you don't just leave it on the shore and let it start to rot. And they found out, the Native Americans found out over time, that you submerge it in the mud of a riverbank somewhere, and it's going to preserve that that craft. Yep. And and that's why we're finding them so often prevalently in those areas because the, maybe the person who sunk it had died over the winter and it just never got pulled up again, or or the tribe had to move to to forest fires or whatever. I don't mm -hmm. know, but uh, th that's how these things get lost. And eventually, thousands of years later, somebody comes along and says, "Hey, look, there's something there." Something there, yeah. Eventually, the canoe will travel across the state. The goal is to put in, it in each tribe's ancestral waters. That's cool. Whether that is a river, stream, lake, or Carolina Bay, the museum's staff and community plan to bring the canoe up in May. Inaugural launch programming and ceremony is scheduled for May 13th. So, a little tongue-in-cheek, but... Uh isn't this about the, does this bring us back to the invasive species thing where they're going to go to every community's water and drop the canoe in? Mm. 
<laughs> Got to think about that. <laughs> Canoe will eventually be preserved and installed at the Museum of Southeast American Indians Family Discovery Center. To actually be able to put your hands on something or even get in it and use it, something that was made in the same manner. That's a big thing that's very important, Melvin says. It might not be 400 years old. It might not be something our ancestors put their hands on uh, and used, but something very similar. So and that's a, that's a connection. That's and so it's back in time, right? So yeah, a direct connection. So the ability to, you can't pull a three thousand year old canoe you found out of the mud and try and use it. Mm-hmm. It's it's not going to. The integrity is not there. Plus, do you really want to damage it? Yeah. So this is a way they built a new one. This one is meant Next for use. Next best thing. This is this is we made this to be used. Yeah. Built it in, in as traditional as they could get. And uh, they're using the dugout. So come May, we'll have to take a peek and follow this yeah, and see yeah. how it how it actually uh, works out. But that's pretty cool, though. That's pretty cool. Yes, I, I like the fact that they've they've done it. They've built it the way their ancestors built it. They storing it the way their ancestors stored it. And you know, it's it's tying current generations to past generations. To past generations, yes. Right. That's that's pretty cool. So we'll keep an eye on that one. Kevin Callan, a while back he posted these green things of fabric I know. I was on so his excited. Facebook. It's like, hey. I thought it was a, a, a whisk making whiskey totes. Yeah, or yeah, I remember you, you yeah, guessed that stuff. But apparently it, not. Yeah, yeah, they were, they were uh, canoe packs. Yeah, so the Happy Camper Canoe Pack from Recreational Barrel Works went on sale. All profits going to Camp Outlook, a not-for-profit Ontario-Canada-based camp that gets youth outdoors that generally wouldn't have the ability to do so on their own. Kevin's big on the giving back. Yes. You know, and with the youth and yeah. especially. Packs could be ordered directly off Recreational Barrel Works website. There were 50 packs, this limited edition, 50 of them. They were, what, like 135 bucks, 129 to 135 mm-hmm. bucks a piece, which is a good deal. Uh... Each pack comes with an autographed copy of Once Around Algonquin. That's the book of him and uh, Andy Baxter's yep. trip doing the meanest link. Exactly, yes. Autographed by the two of them. So that's not too shabby. Packs sold out in less than 20 or 48 hours. I know. Less than 48 hours. I'd I only known. Well, I'm sitting there going, oh, you know what? I think I'll buy one. Mm-hmm. Went online. No, no, well, they're all sold out. All of a sudden you're looking like, what do you mean they're sold out? Uh, great job, an awesome way to give back to good cause, that's for sure. And um, Kevin's made little comments, but I wonder if they'll do another run of them or something else. Because if they're that popular. Yes. And they're, they're not the irregular red or yellow or green or something. Or they were green. They were they like were a, green. A, a pastel looking Yeah, yeah. A green. soft, there's yeah. two, the multi-tone green. Yeah, so it's yeah, pretty cool. Way to go, Kevin. Way to go, buddy. Uh, have to be quicker on the jaw. I on know. The draw next time. Um, this one's a touchy one. Da, da, da. I'm gonna need a swig of drink on that one. Drama, drama. So Dennis Rogers, Canoe Hounds Outdoor Adventure Show. Last week while we were busy recording, because <laughs> he does his show on the nights we record. Yes, Tuesday nights. Tuesday nights. Live uh, YouTube chat. So Tuesday, January 31st, it was PFDs and boater safety. Do you wear your PFD? It looks like we missed a hot topic discussion there. (laughs) I should have seen that one coming a mile away. There, with everything, there's divisive topics. PFDs are one of those. And it's just like. expect it to be. It always will be. It will always be. Do you wear it? Should it be a There's lot? always something that people can argue about. It's just like, should you hang your food bag in the back country or not? Would you put your tarp inside your tent or outside your tent? You know, like there's there's these things that just divide people. And, and wearing the PFD is one of them. What's, what's, everybody's got their own opinion. And what's the saying? Opinions are like assholes. Everybody's got one. <laughs> I was thinking it. I didn't think you'd actually say it on air. <laughs> you swore last week. It's my turn. Uh, I agree 100% that 
that there needs to be a, a PFD in the boat for everyone. Yes, right? I agree there. Yeah. Question is, does it need to be made a law that you have to wear it at all times? And I think that's where all the infighting came I from. I think that's where the, the hot button issue mm-hmm. is with a lot of this. I wear mine all the time. So for me, yeah. I really Same. don't care whether it's a yeah. law or not a law. And honestly, in the backcountry, how many times in your millions of years of canoe tripping <laughs> have you ever come across while you were out on the water? A park ranger, an OPP, or... Not a lot, but often enough. I think maybe twice in 30 hmm. years. Yeah. One, right? two... So you know people aren't going to wear in the backcountry regardless if it's a law or not. Yeah. Just like... And of course... The whole thing, you know, there's the whole argument, well, you know, seatbelts back in the day. Yeah. Everybody got an uproar. And it became a law. And it became a law. Why Save lives. Save lives. And now everything's just, you know. And I think with with us, it was lucky because if I remember correctly, we were leaving Alberta, moving back to Ontario. And when we got here, it was law. Mm -hmm. So you had to wear them. So we said, oh, well, you got to wear them here. Yeah. It's already in effect, so we we had it. It really wasn't a big. And I was a kid at the time, so it really wasn't a big deal. When I'm paddling in extreme heat, I may unzip it, yeah, some, but I still have it on. That's my personal preference. Yeah. I don't know if I am for one hundred percent making it a law. That that I think that's where the sticking point is. The, yeah, there's like. Uh, I, I think currently a lot of people would prefer just to have it accessible. Yeah. My thing is if you're going to insist on making it a law, start small. Start young. With kids. Yeah. Saying, you know what? Okay, fine. You're over 16. You don't have to wear it if you don't want to, but you've got to have it in the boat. Yeah. But anywhere 16 and under has to wear it. Yeah. And by the time those little kids become older- it's ingrained it's in, in them. Yeah, it's just So they're going to, hopefully, it's mm-hmm. ingrained in them. Yeah. And they're just going to wear it, right? That's, and yeah, you know, and then, so yeah, if you say, okay, well, this kid's eight, by the time in eight years, 10 years, he's used to wearing it now. Yeah. So that's when you make it a law for everybody. If, if that's mm-hmm. the, if you, if you insist on making it that, yeah, yeah sort of phase it in, Let I guess. Let there be a transition. Yeah. Um. Like I say, there's the seatbelt argument. No one wanted to, you know, but, you know, it was. Very touchy subject. Uh, and, and like I say, until they make it a law, I'll I'll still be wearing mine. Oh, I'll still wear mine, you know? yeah. yeah. And I, I think right now it's, it's all, you know, up to personal preference. So it got so bad that Dennis had to post on his um, YouTube okay. this message. Hello, all. This episode of Canoe Hounds Outdoor Adventure Show is brought to you to encourage safe usage and overall safety when we are doing what we love, paddling, in any form. As much as I hate controversy, I thought I should just jump in to say that this show was not set up to ram the usage of PFDs down anyone's throats. The purpose of the show was to say you should wear a PFD when paddling on the water for your own safety. I do understand that some of your points brought up in some of your comments, but we do have to look at the big picture. PDFs do save lives. PDFs? PFDs. I've been doing <laughs> PDFs all day at work, so. PFDs save lives. Well, if it's a PDF on PFDs, <laughs> might save your life. I know most of you wear yours because I watch your videos, and let, just like many of you, I am as guilty as the next guy that I do not always have mine on, depending on the circumstances, but ultimately... My usage over the past two seasons has gone from 70% to 99% of the time. Personally, I have family that I always want to go home to. I could not imagine someone telling my family that Canoe Hound is never coming home again because he drowned because he was not wearing his PFD. One thing I will add is for those of us that post our adventures on any platform of social media, we have an unwritten obligation to lead by example. If viewers, young or old, see us not playing safe, then what kind of example or message are you sending? Do you, you do you, people. 
but please do it safe. Don't become another statistic. Dennis. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks, Dennis. That says That's it all. Good sentiment. You know what? It's 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 safety. That's what it is. Yeah. They're they're mm-hmm. they're trying to bring out this information, saying, "Hey, here's why it's safe to do yeah. so." I saw a testi- uh, statistic. Statistic. A statistic. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I saw a statistic. Um, eight out of ten drown boat related drownings were because no life jacket. Oh, okay. Eight yes, out yeah. of that's eighty yeah. percent. Right? Mm-hmm. That's huge. So, um, if you want to catch the whole show, head over to Canoe Hound Outdoor Adventure Show on YouTube and watch the episode. Again, it was the Tuesday, January 31st episode. Um, I know Cramper Christina was on there. I believe it was Kevin Cal. I think Kevin Callum was on there. Yeah, I don't know. And they had a police officer on there as well, an OPP officer on there. Uh, go, go check it out and uh, make your own legacy. It's up to you, realistically, whether you wear it or not. You've got to have it. Yes. Whether you wear it or not right now is up to you. But And on a side note, while we were going through some stuff, I was going through social media before we started recording tonight, there was someone down, I think, in Mexico or something, or one of the South America showing pictures. No, sorry, someone from South America was in the Everglades. Okay. Showed a picture of them kayaking, and they didn't have a life jacket on. And that's what somebody's comment was. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Are you an Olympic swimmer? Yeah. Are you, why are you not wearing a life jacket? <laughs> it needs to be optional. We're you not know? optional. It needs to be a personal choice. And you don't need to be calling people out and shaming them. No, that's you know? just wrong. Do that, do that, do that on the side. Send them a private message going, hey, yeah. everybody's seeing these, including yeah. little kids. You might want to post pictures wearing life jacket. There you go. There's ways to, to, to deal with it without being rude and bullying. So, anyway, check out uh, Dennis's uh, Canoe Hounds Outdoor Adventure show from Tuesday, January 31st, and make up your own mind. Thanks for that, Dennis. Um, we took a trip. We did. And never left the farm. <laughs> so, we went to sale. Yeah. Because... I have this um, Coglin's grill that I take in backcountry. It's just, you know, a flat grill that you put over yeah. the fire, but it's got two legs that fold out. It's big. Because <laughs> they have a smaller version. I haven't been able to get the last couple, but I I've, I've have seen them at Car- uh, Canadian Tire recently. So I'm just thinking I'll pick up one of those. But I want something different that folds down, small, lightweight. Packability, lightweight. Yeah. Practicability. Practability. Practical ability. Practicability. So we decided that you would forget your phone here last <laughs> week. <laughs> yes, that was on purpose. <laughs> that was on purpose. And that we'd meet at the halfway point. Yeah. So I can return your phone the following evening, <laughs> which just happens to be sale. Yes. The outdoor equipment store. Yeah. Awesome timing on that, buddy, yeah. pal, friend of mine. Well, you know, it's always nice to do a road trip out to uh, you know an outdoor store. Every so often mm-hmm. when I don't have money. Yes. So we didn't w- walk around. Now, the one that I know they had. And I do like it. I liked it, too. Um... Like I say, I'm looking for lightweight, something that can fold up, maybe one that like rolls up. Yes. Fold, you know, that sort of stuff. They have the the wolf and grizzly one, which is pretty cool. It rolls out and has a bar across and has a stand so you can set it up like seven inches above your fire. Yep. Pretty sturdy. Look Awesome. And it was like on sale for ninety bucks for one hundred and thirty. Which was not a bad, not a bad price. It was it was up there, and you're looking at it and the size, and you think that's awesome. Then you picked it up. Yeah, two point two pounds. That's what of really metal. Yeah, and honestly, when it comes down to how much gear you bring and what you have room for, and mm-hmm. and how much weight you want to have on your back, and it's like you really have to. That's usually a sticking point. It's like well. I don't want a cast iron frying pan in the backcountry. Yeah. 
Right? You'd like one, but you're not nice. taking it, right? Yeah. And that's the same with this. Is like this is perfect what I'm looking for, but no. So it's just it's just the weight, the weight thing. Just yeah. And we even talked about well, all those legs <laughs> that are the the you know the, the metal. You could drill holes on those. Yes. And maybe. Shave some ounces off. <laughs> <laughs> Make it very holy. Very, yeah. Uh, so I started looking. Now, the Coughlin's Pack Grill is 12 and a half by 6 and a half, stands 7 inches high, right? So that's a good size of throw-over fire. Make yep. yourself some dogs or a burger or steak or whatever else you're fish cooking out there. Folds flat for easy storage. 12 ounces or three-quarters of a pound. Yes, 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 yes. Grand price of about 12 bucks Canadian. <laughs> like, this is like the, 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 the cheapest of the cheapest of the, if you can't afford gear to go camping, this yeah. is what you take sort of thing, right? <laughs> but three quarters of a pound as opposed to 2.2 pounds. Yes. Yeah, I was just like, hey, I saved weight on this. So I think I'll bring that. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, no, you're supposed to cut all weight. So I looked at that one. Then there's the Expedition Research Bushcraft Grill, which is nine and a half by five. It's just mesh. Yes. Right? Flat, no legs, four ounces or a quarter pound, about 20 bucks. But it's just mesh. Mm-hmm. It's so a- I've, I, now I, the, I've used a couple over the years and some of the smaller, really lightweight mesh ones, it's like a single trip. You cook on it well, three, that's four times. funny because this one here, they say, oh, we'll sell you them three. Th- a three-pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. And said, so, well, you can join them together to make it a bigger. Yeah. So it's, it'll be like nine and a half by 15. <laughs> like, no. <laughs> so quarter, quarter, that's three quarters of a pound. <laughs> yeah. Eh, no, I'm good. Uh, 20 bucks. 20 bucks for one of those. Yeah. And you, you, you can, it's easy to throw away that kind of money and, and hope for the best. And mm-hmm. maybe it's going to be your, it, like a lot of these, everybody's going to have their own personal favorite. Yeah. Right. Now there was another one, the Nashrio portable camping grill. And when I started looking at these, this is one of those things a company makes and then sells under 50 different names from China <laughs> yes. on Amazon yeah. and yeah. eBay and We've all seen that it. sort of stuff. 12 and a half by 11, uh, or sorry, 10 and th- three quarters, uh, stands at about six and a half inches tall, comes apart. St- so there's, it's basically two tubes on the side yeah. with the bars going across yep. and four legs. Everything unscrews and comes out and stores in one of the 12 and a half inch tubes. Yep. So you end up with this small... Uh, round tube, 12 ounces, three quarters of a pound. Hmm. Uh, assembly required. Now, all the reviews I saw on this say it has wobbly legs. Yeah. So that's the big, whatever, you know, 25 bucks. Yeah. But it's from, and <laughs> one of the ads I was saying, um, allow for, Two or three centimeters difference. In manufacture? I'm thinking, okay, that's huge. (laughs) (laughs) How can you be that far off? It's it's an inch. It's, you know. This is perfect for what I'd want, but. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I want something a bit more reliable. (laughs) And more reliable the fact that it'll actually show up after I order it. Yes, there's that. So that one. The other one is the Bitty Big Q. That one, like. Folds in, pushes in on itself, collapses upon itself sort of deal. Really weird out. And it looks pretty good. 16 by 10 inches folded out. 6.7 by 3.46 by (laughs) 3.43 inches all folded up. 1.7 pounds. So, again, you're getting your weight up there. 65 bucks. Yeah, that's you're really pushing it. Well, you know, you're getting in the range of the uh, the wolf and grizzly one that you like. You're yeah, you're 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 go- it's going to last. Mm-hmm. It definitely is, but you're getting that weight up there, and that's what you're trying to trying to avoid. So, at the end of the day, yes, looking at all the options, 
I'd be heading a Canadian tire and getting <laughs> another one of my good old-fashioned Coglin Pat grills, a 12 by 6 and a half and for 12 bucks, which usually lasts me a few seasons and yeah. I toss it and out. And yeah, it's like it was 10 or 12 bucks, so you're not really yeah. worried about it. Nope, nope. So Ooh. sometimes if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Ooh. Now, an interesting tidbit. Coglin's is... You know it. It's got it's yeah. the green stuff you see at Canadian Tire and outdoor stores, right? I thought the same as you. I always thought that was a Canadian Tire mm-hmm. brand. Yeah. Apparently not. Coglin Outdoor Accessories started 63 years ago offering camp stove toasters. You know those toasters you put on your it's old Coleman? block. Is it an angle? It's a, yeah, it's, it's a circle on the bottom yeah. and there's these four pieces you bring up yeah. and your, your toe sits at an angle and the heat comes up in the yeah. middle. Got preparations. Right? That's what the dude started selling 63 years ago. <laughs> and then once electro, electric toasters started coming out, he moved on to other bits and pieces. And what is, I think they said there's like 600 different items they sell now. That's crazy. Winnipeg-based family-owned business sells worldwide 20 to 25 different com- countries in the world. Good for them. Like, holy jumpers. This isn't, I thought this was like something you find in Canadian Tire. <laughs> you know, that there's, oh, we'll just yeah. take somebody else's, we'll just mark it. And a lot of the stuff is like 10 bucks and under, 15 bucks and under. Yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah, oh, these are perfect. Uh, one of those little orange things you put your matches in, and it keeps them dry. Well, yes. Right? Yep. Um, the little wire saws. You name it, they right? make it. They, they make yeah. everything like that. All mm-hmm. cheap little thingies that you, you find at the bottom of your food barrel. Yeah. <laughs> that's where you yeah. just throw all your stuff, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So, Coglins, I've been using their stuff on and off for forever, and now I'm still going to go back and... Look at the cheap one. Just go get the cheap uh, pack grill and as well. You know what? I've like, seen a movement over the last few years, and I, I first started noticing them probably about five years ago. I remember when we were down at Canadian Outdoor Equipment, they had a few of them on the shelves. But it's these these smaller hollow tube grills that are made of titanium. And the price was a bit rich for me, so I never did get one. But I always thought, oh, that's interesting. It's And it's super light. It's a hollow titanium tube construction and it's just these this grill with legs. And it's like, that's that's really... I like the fact that it was so lightweight. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They don't fold up, though. They didn't fold up. No. it's Like I say, I'm just looking for something because there's certain things you bring on a trip. I have no problem sticking my pot of water in the coals, in the coals yeah, and yeah. all that and let it boil, that sort of deal. But if I'm doing a steak or something like that, or, you mm-hmm. know, not everybody I know likes to just throw it on a yeah. piece of wood and let it go to town or, or a rock or something yeah. like that. They want to put it on a grill and, and cook it sort of thing. Or, uh, you know, I just want a nice, lightweight, small yeah. grill that I can put, you know, a couple of steaks or something on or a, a nice fish or something or a frying yeah. pan. Small, lightweight, folding. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to Canadian Tire this weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Get them before they're all gone. (laughs) I think that's all I've got this week. That's all I've got. Is it? Oh, I'm grabbing wrong papers here. Oh, what do I got here? Yeah, that's that's all I got this week. Just getting ready for making trips. Yeah, I'll talk to you about this uh, when I'm planning in the spring. Yes. We'll make some plans and we may actually end up yeah, paddling together for on a trip. Woohoo! How about that? <laughs> yeah, we've never done it. Really. Oh no, we well, we've done not together. We've done I, when you, uh, in groups. Yeah, yeah. So I remember helping out when you guys did the Brent Run. Yeah, we went. Uh, remember the the Husky Brigham shoot. Oh. There was a husky at night with oh, the bear bell. Oh, the two dogs with the bear bells. They yeah. Said, Why does that bear have a bell on tied yeah. to it? That's, that's a wolf. <laughs> the wolf, it's got a bell on it. What? And there's a yeah. Great Dane. Yeah. Wait a minute. Freaking us all out. Uh, yeah. So we'll uh, we'll chit-chat that and come up with plans for a nice trip mm-hmm. in, in June with all the bugs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Derek feels the cold coming yeah, on already. Uh, <laughs> I, feel, I feel a family trip coming on. <laughs> all righty. 
Well, if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes at iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. You can go to the episode page at PaddlingAdventuresRadio.com, and you can stream or download all our episodes there. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. 